Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. So we are in the midst of the election season, and um, time is winding down to election day, and some of us already got started yesterday with early voting. Um, But we still need to kind of, for those of you that haven't quite made the decisions yet, or even if you have, we still need to talk about the expectations of what we expect these people to be when it comes to addressing certain issues. Uh, one of those issues is immigration, and I'm happy to uh, bring back immigration attorney Nadine Brown to join us today, the Warrior Princess. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Oh, always a pleasure, always a pleasure. And I have, but and before we go on, I have to say real quick, speaking of uh, war, what I call warrior princesses, uh, um, in addition to Ms. Brown, Esquire Brown, uh, NPR, had, I had trouble tearing myself away for a minute there. NPR had an interview with Pam Greer, who is considered um, one of the uh, first uh, uh women to do action uh, movies. And so it was an interesting interview. It just gotten started. So what I would just like to encourage everybody, and if I can find it, I'm going to post it on the G's Power Hour Facebook page, but I would like to encourage everybody to take a listen to the um, NPR interview. So if I can find it, I'm posting it. But if you get a chance, go and dig it up. Um, but and No, don't go listen to it right now. Please listen to the show because Nadine has a <laughs> lot to say. And so, Nadine, one of the things I wanted to start with is that uh, I saw something uh, very briefly before I um, brought you on, some sort of changes that are are being made with um, immigration policy, some that I guess uh, were implemented by uh, President Trump that are now being waived, I guess, in terms of I guess, applying for uh, uh, citizenship. Did you see anything like that? It was something that was earlier today. I did not. So um, you kind of caught me me off guard when it comes to that. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Like I said, I'm sure you've got plenty And immigration is a very dynamic area, so there's um, constant flow of information and policy changes, um, almost daily briefings that Mm -hmm. I get. Uh, sometimes they're, you know, contemporaneous to when they're occurring um, or it's something that's been in the works and it's just finalized because a lot of the policy has to be um, 
published through the Federal, federal Register. They do have comment periods like most legislation or policy and regulations. They have a comment period when they're first published and then uh, they're finalized once all the comments come in and the committee ah. uh, get a chance to, to you know, vote on them. So it's everything is not instantaneous, although there's a degree of dynamism that occurs with things, you know, flowing and ebbing um, in the process, but it's a process of creating new policy and regulation. So it may have been something that is they're rolling back or they're in the process of revision and asking for comments. Um, so it, I have not, it has not come across uh, my inbox yet, but I'll look out for it. Okay. So um, m- without necessarily endorsing anyone in particular, because most people who have listened to you on the show, we kind of know where you stand. However, um, what are your concerns going into the election with people voting now um, in terms of immigration policy and how do you see it affected with one person or party being elected versus the other? I don't know necessarily that um, at at this point, if you're kind of on the fence, uh, you kind of really need to refine and define what it is that you're looking for. Um, mm-hmm. Immigration may be my issue, but there are a whole host of other issues that are important or priorities for people. Um, right. So if, if it's at this stage that you're trying to figure out who to vote for and you haven't yet received your sample ballot or trying to, it's to probably do a Google search and, you know, kind of limit the sources of of news that you uh, review to determine which way to go on uh, a particular issue or a particular candidate. Um, Google is a good resource. Um, You know, reputable uh, newspaper outlets or media outlets are good sources. Facebook is not one of them. Um, WhatsApp uh, memes and posts is not uh, another either. Um, and you know what your convictions are, your your faith beliefs, and um, uh, you know going to be most important to not just you, but your state and your community moving forward. Um, you know to I'm glad specifically you answer- up faith beliefs because I don't hear a lot of people talk about that, and I think to me that's very important. Um, and it's it's hard because there's it's, a definite conflict um, depending on, on – and it really kind of boils down to what issue or issues you are most concerned about because you don't have, unfortunately, one person, it seems, that, you know, carries that, – that, I guess, toes the same line in terms of your beliefs as you do. Right. Well, I mean, it's, you know, who embodies um – you know, what you believe. I mean, there is a clear separation of church and state, and it's supposed to be, and it's kind of uh, underlying, you know, our system um, of governance is that we're supposed to separate the two because the founding of our nation was based on trying to achieve religious freedom and, and how we came to independence. If anybody's a student of history or, or understands the making of the United States, most of our immigrants should, especially if they're aspiring to become U.S. citizens because it's a part of the citizenship test. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, as individuals, as human beings, we have a basis for what we believe, whether it's, you know, faith or our past experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think especially for, for your platform, um, if anybody is, you know, church-minded or has a religious background or a, a faith understanding 
then that will inform the decisions that you make and how you view the candidates um, and the issues uh, and your, you know, your worldview. So that should definitely inform, um, you know, what choices you make. Because at the end of the day, it's what quality of life do you want? And is this candidate going to embody that, whether it's, you know, somebody for the school board, are they going to be um, advocating for curriculum or policies in the school that's going to affect your child, or if it's somebody in the legislature in your district or uh, in the attorney general's office, um, you know, do the the things that you would like them to do when it comes to criminal justice reform um, or you know any of the other issues that affect us, climate change or you just budget, you know, ec- economy and and um, jobs and and whatnot. So all of that is informed by who we are as people and what we believe and also who the individuals that we're trusting to represent our interests at the ballot box. So tell me what when because you like I said you mentioned faith and how much of that when you look at candidates how much of that do you take with you into the ballot box? I'm just I'm just curious. It's, it's kind of off of what I was going to ask you, but I am curious because um I it know informs- me personally, I'm struggling right now with some decisions because of what my faith dictates versus, you know, some other, I guess, beliefs that I have. So I'm, I'm in conflict with a couple I, of things. I make, sometimes I make the distinction between what your faith belief is and what religious doctrine teaches. And so there is a very fine line, and mm. I guess that's where you need to tease out things because it's sometimes what we're taught is not always what is or what we fundamentally believe as people. And you have an overarching life view, world perspective, and then there are specific individual issues that may affect your life or your neighbor's life in a different way. And we, a lot of times we think we know things until – We learn new things. I mean, that's just the way life is. So like with immigration, for example, um, you know, some people have the belief that, well, we're a system of laws, and we are, and there is an orderly fashion by which people should come. But when you look at the individual lives of the people that are coming and you understand why they're coming or how they got here and their backstory, then it may inform on your view or perspective of immigration legislation and then an immigrant individual. And a lot of times I get people in my office who they weren't aware until their neighbor, their friend, a fellow congregant or a person that showed up at church uh, needed something that they didn't understand the system doesn't provide for. So if you're coming from Guatemala or El Salvador or even Haiti um, or any Mm -hmm. other Caribbean island and you've been devastated but there isn't a legal process for you to get here, then as a human being, you're going to relate differently to that individual as opposed to you're a voter and, well, we have immigration laws that says that you should do X, Y, and Z. But if the, if the two don't reconcile, then you're going to have those fundamental problems. And then you're going to see that, okay, we need immigration reform um, at the policy level and also in our you know, local uh, areas, how we offer jobs to people, what services we provide for them. So it, it, there's that distinction between, okay, what we've been taught and what we think we know versus what's actually happening in people's lives. And that's where the disconnect uh, sometimes happen and the conflict arises. 
and we need to be cognizant of the fact that there is overarching legislation that is not going to cure everything. No one person is a silver bullet, you know, for every ill that there is. No one particular um, party, but overarching, we need to find a comprehensive way to say, okay, this is the better of two, um, or this is the better path to go until we learn something different. So okay. how much does my faith, my faith is my fundamental belief in humanity and what Jesus said and what Jesus taught um, and not necessarily religious doctrine, which is a completely different thing to um, manifest and propagate an, an institution as opposed to a fundamental belief system. Gotcha. You're so correct. I, and and I, I thank you for, for putting that out there. Um, I want to talk about one of the issues that um, came up in last night's debate. Unfortunately, I didn't get a, a chance to to uh, watch it, I, but I've been looking at a few cliff notes. And um, one of the things that there was a clash over was um, the migrant flights um, that occurred from Florida up north. And so I wanted to ask you, your take on how that situation was handled and, you know, knowing that we've got other migrants coming over the the, the borders right now, um, especially um, uh, one of the articles that I looked at, an AP article, said that um, the illegal border crossings to the U.S. from Mexico is at an annual high. Um, so I was wondering, with those types of and you can't say it's a, a permanent fix at all. Uh, it's not even a real fix, but, you know, just kind of passing, you know, these poor souls on from one bad situation to another. What what do you make of the way this is being handled? I think it's it's being uh, poorly handled by, you know, our, our state governor. Um, what he did, I think, was um, very short-sighted, very uh, mean-spirited or – ill-advised. Um, it's one thing to know that there are a system of rules and regulations for orderly um, entry into the United States that sometimes does not work because of the specific circumstances. One of the things that we learn in law is that some things are case-specific, fact-specific. They're individuals, um, and the law tries to remedy uh, circumstances based on what is like a, a rule, and then there are exceptions to the rule based on certain facts or information that comes to light. So what I think he did was um, preemptively say, okay, we don't want them in our state. Let's pass them off to another state. But we're, you know, a federalist society where we're a union of other, you know, states that combine to make our nation the United States. And so I think that it was ill-advised for him to use funds um, for our state uh, to kind of reject individuals who may have been coming here for family reunification or for other reasons, um, and that it was just, you know, poor management on his, um, on his part. Uh, and, you know, people are using it as theater. Uh, he likes to use the word theater, the COVID theater, and this and that, and for show. And essentially, I think that's what he did, and, and he did not think it through. Um, in, in utilizing the state resources to then put migrants um, in another location without consulting Massachusetts or what their infrastructure was like. Um, and it was just, you know, tragic and traumatic for those individuals who were deceived, essentially, 
for what they were promised, which is, you know, no different than a coyote would or no different than a trafficker would do. So I don't, you know, separate, you know, what he did, his motivation. Um, he may have thought that his intent was, okay, well, he's just going to spare our state, but we already have an influx of immigrants from all parts um, to Central Florida, South Florida, um, and the West Coast. So it was, in my opinion, ill-advised. He could have handled it better. I think there's a, a better process that we can um, utilize uh, to do that and be more hospitable as people and as Floridians. Okay. So um, one of the things that, like I said, I was kind of glancing at some stuff earlier. Um, there's a, a, a policy that's supposed to try to discourage um, illegal border crossings by Venezuelan migrants. So now, and apparently we're having more uh, numbers of the Venezuelan population coming this way. What is going on in Venezuela, as far as you know, and um, how do we address them? Because one of the things that you were saying earlier was how we address different people or different situations uh and we shouldn't just kind of do a, a blanket judgment over the different people so you know we have some people that are coming here for economic reasons some that are coming because of political reasons or, or life-threatening reasons mm-hmm. um you know and, and with the numbers that are coming i guess one of the one things i want to ask you with the numbers that are coming uh how do we manage the process you know, I mean, you can't. It's so, hard to say. Well, we can slow it down, um, but we've got to get better in terms of how we handle the immigration crisis. So I, I think it's not being so reactionary. Um, I know that uh, in the past few weeks, they've kind of they meaning the the U.S. federal government has and Department of Homeland Security has kind of changed and shifted some of the policies when it comes to the Venezuelans because. You know, their country is kind of um, like Haiti in chaos without good leadership um, and just, you know, hyperinflation, and it's just uh, very chaotic. People are feeling desperate in crisis, and they're driven to, you know, North America, and so they want to still come to a place that they believe will offer opportunity and a better way of life. I mean, that's just the driving force for many people coming to our borders from all over the globe. Um, not just from our next neighbors uh, in South and Central America and the Caribbean. Um, so what's going on in Venezuela is not unlike what's going on in other places around the globe. Um, it's just that, you know, they're our next neighbors closer to us, and that's where they're going to try to head for. Um, the policies have shifted from, you know, just doing a blanket, uh, we're going to do a TPS, uh, people can apply apply for asylum, um, which all of these are application process, paper intensive. You have to prove your case. Uh, and so they're not just considered refugees, even though in layman's terms it's anybody who's been displaced. A displaced person, you no longer have a home either because it's been destroyed by war or natural disaster, and so you're on the move with whatever is on your back or in a in a backpack. Um, mm-hmm. So when they're coming here, the, the shift has been now they need to apply the Office of Refugee Resettlement cannot offer them um, what they would for resettling refugees, which is essentially, you know, three months' worth of cash assistance and maybe food stamps. And if anybody has a budget and has a home or is trying to manage a household, three months is like nothing. 
Um, you, and with the, you know groceries being what it is, you can exhaust that in maybe one month. So um, those services aren't available. They're not eligible for Medicaid. So if they need any kind of health care assistance, it's, you're kind of on your own or at the mercy of your friends, neighbors, and, you know, family members. Um, so it's just, you know, what's going on in Venezuela, what's driving people here that's continuing to drive people here in record numbers, and I don't think they can necessarily stem the tide, but organizational-wise, it's getting people to understand that, understand both here the officials and the people that are coming, that there is a process that they still have to go through, whether they're coming on foot or they're coming with a visa, that they can obtain it in an embassy abroad. Um, it, it just seems very chaotic and, and mayhem, and I'm not even sure how they can stem it other than just stick to policy rather than being reactionary to negative news or, um, you know, negative uh, criticism from the other parties. And our legislature needs to get it together as far as what is a comprehensive, cohesive policy um, of maintaining one human dignity and an orderly um, registration process for people that are trying to get here and to get services or benefits and what that means. And for people who are here to recognize that these are human beings that are coming, there we may perceive that there's not enough for everybody, but I think that there is because not everybody is using the same services, using the same things, needing the same things, or in the same job industries or fields. So um, it's just first, you know, getting a grip, so to speak, and then maintaining the force of what we need to do as far as health services, um, job services, um, you know, and, and getting them settled in a way that, that makes sense. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is take a break because I have a couple of questions I want to ask you with regards to maybe options in terms of how we handle the immigration crisis here in the United States. So we are here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown, and if you have questions, um, the number is 516-387-1944. We're discussing this because we want to bring up, you know, issues that you may want to consider when you're choosing your candidates uh, during this election season. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com.
Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are here talking with immigration attorney Nadine Brown because I wanted to talk about immigration issues and things that you might want to consider uh, when you decide uh, on who you will select for to represent you in office with the election season on us now. Um, the number, if you have questions for Nadine, 516-387-1944. Uh, so, Nadine, I wanted to ask you, one, can, is it possible, what do you think about the possibility of forming partnerships with other countries, uh, of course, obviously, New Mexico and Canada, in terms of distributing some of the, the masses that we're receiving and putting them maybe on a wait list? While you know, I mean, they could wait in other areas, other countries, while being processed through in determining whether or not they can apply for citizenship here in the United States, or you know, uh, you know, while they gather whatever resources they need to to apply for citizenship here, is it a possibility that we could form cer- certain partnerships with other countries? Um, so we that we. Sorry to cut you off, but we we do have some agreements. I mean, Canada is, is similar to the United States in the in the orderly process of registering uh, immigrants or people who would like to uh, become permanent residents or who are foreign skilled workers. Um, and then uh, there's a path to citizenship. Um, but we have a, a program or had a program, especially during the Trump administration, called the Migrant Protection Protocols, which was to um, for lack of a better term, invite people to remain in Mexico while they were waiting for their asylum applications uh, to be processed or an opportunity to process their asylum applications and then enter the United States. What happened with that is that it created a lot of tent cities because Mexico in and of itself was not really interested in hosting um, migrants passing through or who were Mm -hmm. there trying to get to the United States. So you had you know, tent cities kind of in squalor and and people that are just desperate because they don't have the amenities and an infrastructure um, to house these individuals. So it's it's nice on paper, and I know that our vice president had made overtures to some of the Central American countries to say, okay, you know, what's going on here is how we can process um, individuals, and here's what information you need to provide. Um, to, you know, the population that may be considering coming, um, you know, offering people from other countries, from like, say, Nicaragua can go to El Salvador or Guatemala, but you have to understand that the the government structures in some of those countries are not exactly as stable or does not have um, the political will to maintain or to entertain uh, foreigners that may be planning to to then migrate to a third country. And then they're also... um, conditions or prerequisites for people who want to apply for asylum, how long do you expect that they're going to wait to be processed? Because we still have, you know, labor shortage issues when it comes to Department of Homeland Security and budgetary shortfalls for people who are able to process the applications um, and then, you know, get them through uh, court hearings because somebody may not qualify for a benefit or have a defense to deportation. So there are the migrant protection protocols, which they've kind of reinstituted people that are still waiting outside to come in, and then that's where you get people feeling desperate and the urgent need to then bypass the system that we have because it just cannot uh, hold 
or process the volume of people that are coming in and what do we do? I, I, I really don't know. We're still in the process of trying to figure that out, but you know, we've kind of tried that. So you stay in Mexico or you stay in Canada and you're waiting to come in. But in the meantime, you know, as human beings, we, especially in this age, we want things now. And so we, we have a sense of immediacy. And so do we wait, you know, you know, 10 months or two years in Mexico or Canada waiting to come in? There's some people because of our visa processing system, have to wait years if you're from India, China, Philippines, and Mexico, and you have family members here that are those are immediate relatives, you know, husbands and wives or children even under the age of 21. If you're a permanent resident, you may have to wait four or five years anyway. And so everybody likes to throw up this word fair. Is that fair um, to have to wait outside separated from your family when you're urgent you know, heart motivation may be, well, I want to be with my family not, you know, two years from now, but now. So that is the compelling um, force that is driving people, you know, to our borders plus the the, the crisis that they may be facing on a day-to-day basis. Um, so we have migrant protection protocols. We have people have opportunity. Do they have the means? Who is going to house them? Who is going to... Um, you know, feed them while they're there if they're not able to take care of themselves or they don't speak the language. Um, so it's it's all of those confounding issues that crop up when, you know, you, you say that and say that we should at least partner with, and we do, and then each, you know, Western industrialized country has a quota that they accept of certain number of refugees, and then you have to distinguish people who are actual legitimate refugees who have been designated so because of the United Nations High Commission for Refugees or the actual uh, non-governmental organizations on the, the ground in those areas that are saying, okay, Here's how many people you take in um, for the United States, maybe 125,000 refugees per fiscal year, and we process them through the Office of Refugee Resettlement, um, which is through D.C., and then they get um, filtered into different organizations like Catholic Charities, Church World Services, Jewish World Services, the Islamic Society, and then they're resettled and they're you know, hosted with, with partner families or partner community organizations, and then you have everybody else who's trying to get in either through a work visa or because of some other compelling reason um, or economic hardship. Um, so it's, you know, all the le- different levels that, that people need to give thought to in, you know, how do we go about creating a comprehensive, coherent, and, um you know, human dignity-based policy. And it it can be overwhelming just to consider what the options could be or would be, but we do have kind of, in a way, a partnership with our neighboring countries as to what to do is just, you know, there are other concerns that may be driving our legislators to say, okay, immigration, you know, it's a mess, we can't figure it out, so we just throw up our hands and just it is what it is, and then we're reacting to every political whim that is in the news. Okay, so the other alternative I wanted to bring up is what about working in partnership with uh, some of those countries where the refugees are coming from? Um, And I know that's kind of, uh, I guess, controversial and a little bit a dicey process because, for example, I I was – doing a lot of driving this morning, so I was taking in some some NPR as well as some other things. There was a story on NPR about Haiti, uh, and one of the things that was being discussed is um, 
you know, in spite of all of the conflict that's going on over there, there may be factions um, or quite a few people that think that they they don't necessarily want the involvement of the United States in their country. Um, and so, I'm, but my thinking is there needs to be, I, I would say, maybe some sort of dialogue with Haiti, with Venezuela or whatever, to find some sort of compromise so that, um, you know, you may not want us involved in your country, but, but by virtue of what you're doing in your country, you're, in, you're impacting what's going on in the United States. So we need to find some sort of, I guess, compromise or, or some sort of uh, workaround, something that would slow down, let's say slow down the influx of immigrants into the United States and maybe work on trying to make, make circumstances better in those particular countries where, where the refugees are coming from. And I would agree with you that that is something that should be a priority, and that's what our diplomatic corps should be, um, you know, about doing is, is making those overtures um, through diplomatic channels to make sure that the governments that are there or that the organizations that are there um, or the, you know, community organizations, non-governmental organizations um, that are there are creating uh, the atmosphere where they can do something in their own countries, and um, we would support them, if not in word, at least in deed. Um, and there are some definitely in, in countries, um, our next neighbors, that don't want any kind of U.S. presence, um, whether it's non-governmental mm -hmm. organizations or, um, you know, uh, other types of, of assistance that we have had in the, in the past, whether it's military intervention because of, you know, coups and lawlessness, um, which have an immediate impact on our borders, whether it's an influx of, you know, boat people uh, or, you know, people coming through the southern borders. Um, mm -hmm. But I would agree with you definitely, but I think diplomatic channels for sure uh, in whichever way that we can manage that, um, are they always receptive? No, but we just need to keep trying. Right, because, like, for example, I was reading a little bit of, about Venezuela and the, you know, health, the, the crisis with COVID there and, you know, crisis with, with um, having a, an ample food supply and all that type of stuff. Um, we know that there is, if, I guess, if the government would probably cooperate and if we could assist in some, some way, um, you know, in terms of, I don't know how you would do it, but I'm just looking at if there was some way we could assist with the the medical crisis that's going on over there or the food crisis that's going on over there. That you know, might, it's, in some way, it's it's one of those oh, things. I'm sorry, it's one of those things where you know the 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 Bible says you know before you you complain about the log in somebody else's eyes, take out the log in your own. Um, it's, it's, yes, so it's one of those things where we have not had a comprehensive COVID policy. We don't have good health policy. Um, if, you, if you really look at it, so how are we in a position to kind of mandate or even advise other people how and what they should do? People still think and see and perceive the United States, you know, as a wealthy country with a lot of amenities right. and a, a lot of resources, um, despite, you know, 
what it actually is when we're living here, depending on who you are, where you are, and what your needs are. Um, we have not had a good COVID uh, response. Um, so to say that you know right. Venezuela, we could assist them with theirs, we don't have a public health infrastructure when many of the other countries do. So it's kind of difficult to kind of dictate when some people know and are aware that our policies haven't been good, so why should we listen to you? We're just going to come and get what we can well, because that's, that's who we are. Yeah, but the thing is, you don't see a, a mass exodus of United States citizens going to other countries. Okay. I'm not saying there, there aren't any, but they're, they're going over to other countries, but you don't see the mass exodus. You don't see us trying to cross borders to go and, and, and live in other countries the right, way that you... we have people coming over here. And, it could be, and even in spite of our flawed um, policies, uh, we're, we're not necessarily, you know, doing a, a slaughter of our own citizens. I mean, we, we have a cr- high crime rate, rate, but it's not necessarily, in, and I'm not saying we don't have is, issues with um, uh, the police because we still do, but it's not uh, the way it is in some of these other countries that are that are causing people to flee to our country. So we have to look at, even though our policies are flawed, what is it that we can do and that could alleviate the influx here? And, you know, you've got to look at, as my mom used to say, pay me now, pay me later. Um, is, it, is it better to continue the way we are um, with just the continued receipt of, of immigrants, legal and, and illegal? Or is there a way to work with, you know, a, a country that um, we're receiving immigrants from and say, hey, you know, they're coming here because this is not right over there. How can we work together to make sure that things are better where you are and so your citizens would be happy where you are? Because otherwise, you know, like you said, limited resources, even though we have uh, quite a few resources, praise God, but, our, you know, the more people that come in, the more that our resources get stretched and um, the more we have people doing unseemly things all for the sake of the few resources that we are trying to spread among everybody. I think those are very good points. Um, The point, though, why many people are driven to the United States is because of our underlying market economy. So the perception Mm -hmm. is that things are falling apart in our own countries. Um, Money is the answer to it, right? Because we still have that perception here in the United States as well. Because it's what you do with your money or how you manage your money. And so if you have things falling apart in Venezuela or in Haiti, at least if I get to the United States and I can work, I can make my own way. Because that's the thing that we also inherently teach our own kids and our own society. So to to say, okay, then those are the things that you can do in Venezuela because you're an oil-rich country. It's just how you manage your resources, then that could be a possibility, but it's also teaching them what, you know, a democratic system looks like. It's also teaching them that money is not always the answer, but it is an opportunity for you to make a better way. 
Um, but mm-hmm. we also have to understand, you know, how people run their government, um, what's important to them culturally, uh, and the fact that, you know, we're still putting out this subliminal message that, yeah, if you can pull yourself up, then you can have the quality of life that you want. And so I think that's the driving factor for why people come, why we can't transmit that to other countries. We do on some levels, but it's just having people make the correct policy judgments and policy decisions to, you know, create infrastructures in a society that will keep the people there so that there's not a brain drain, so that there's not people fleeing because of crisis. Um, but for where people are now, whether it's you know, the climate, political climate in Venezuela, the lawlessness that's going on in Haiti, um, abject poverty and, and, and whatnot, um, it's important for people to remember not just the message but also the method. And I, I don't think that those translate very well when, you know, people in government in those countries are either not willing to listen or to say, okay, well, you know, but this and this and this and this you don't have in America and you're still telling people that, you know, they can come and make a better life for themselves if they just work hard. So it's a, it's a complicated problem, but I would agree with you that if we use diplomatic channels and we try to help uh, the countries insofar as, you know, supporting their programs and their policies, it may help. Will it stop? I I don't know, and I don't think that it will. Mm. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, immigration issues and and you know how they may impact the election. How are you? Uh, are is this one of the the topics that you are looking into when you are making your decisions uh, in terms of who's going to run your government for the next term? So we're here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. If you have questions for her, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour, I never had it so good entertainment. We'll be right back. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faith, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are here with Immigration Attorney Nadine Brown. And if you have questions, the number is 516-387-1944. So, Nadine, let's just, I guess, go and look and let me ask you, um, when people are making decisions in terms of who they, who they should support for the upcoming election, what are the uh, issues, especially in your field, that are top of mind for you? So 
I did want to say that, you know, if you got your sample ballot or you have an awareness of, of what issues um, are on the ballot, it's to be as informed as you possibly can be. So for, you know, I'm a, a lawyer, so a lot of what is on the ballot are should we retain some of the judges and the general population may not be aware unless you come in contact with the criminal justice system or the court system in some form or fashion. You know, the District Court of Appeal judges is like, who knows those individuals unless you practice before them or that you've had an appeal? Who knows what's going on with the Supreme Court of the State of Florida unless, you, of course, you've come into contact with them or you know the names of the justices that serve presently and should we retain them? So I would inform individuals that if you're not aware, you can also abstain. Uh, by not voting for an individual that you have no knowledge of, or at least you can use Google. Um, you can use some of the um, Ballotopia uh, platforms to find out information about how judges who are supposed to be impartial have voted on uh, or have decided on certain issues, um, what their beliefs are. I think the most important um, decisions to be made is who's going to be our chief law enforcement officer, which is the governor of the state of Florida, who's going to be our district representative in Congress in D.C., um, who's going to be our state senator, um, who's going to be on the school board because they're the people that shape the curriculum and the policies that our students have to um, follow or be subject to. Um, and then, you know, the state constitutional amendments um, that are on the ballot, so people should be aware and um, focused on those. Um, and overarching is like, what is your worldview and who represents you best, not just specific individual uh, issues, which may be important um, or you may have an opinion about, but it doesn't affect your life uh, one way or the other. And so we need to think about those things. I did not listen to the debate um, last night with our, our you know, gubernatorial candidates, but it is interesting that if at this point you haven't made up your mind um, or you don't know who to vote for, it's to go one by one, whether it's to the individual websites for the campaigns or to talk to your friends and neighbors or your civic leaders uh, to find out you know, their opinion and also what's important to you in making your choices. Um, but for me, it's who's going to be our... Um, you know, gubernatorial candidate, who's going to be the attorney general, which is, is going to shape um, how the laws are enforced in the state of Florida. Um, do you have a more humanitarian, human dignity-based uh, perspective, or you're just strictly, you know, by the law and, and um, all the extenuating circumstances do not matter? That's also how we should view some of the overarching issues, whether it's immigration, whether it's jobs, whether it's, you know, abortion rights, um, or, you know, health care, whether it's public health uh, issues and mandates, um, water conservation, all those issues that we think are inconsequential in the scheme of life, but when it comes to the ballot, oh, now it's an issue uh, that we didn't think about yeah. before. Um, but, you know, you need to be aware every day, not just on Election Day or in early voting, um, what the people who you vote for that are supposed to represent you are doing, you know, just like mm -hmm. with the um, the Martha's Vineyard stunt or what's going on in session. I mean, we got news through another organization that, you know, our governor vetoed a, um, a grant for literacy. So what does that tell you about if he's concerned with what's happening with schools and critical race theory, but he's going to veto a grant on um, monies that could go to an organization that would fund literacy 
is his priority about really educating or is just these sound bites and what panders uh, to his particular base, which is not really about, um, you know, people's fundamental well-being as literacy should be, as um, resettling in a society should be, as, you know, faith in, in, in a community and a government that wants people to succeed. Uh, so those are the things that people need to be aware of. It's not just you know, what's on the ballot, but what's going on in the day-to-day workshops and the committees and the legislatures, the legislation that's being proposed. Um, And you can go to the House and Senate website both for what's happening in D.C. and for what's happening in Tallahassee. Uh, And Tallahassee is more immediate or, you know, in your Seminole County Commission's uh, meetings or your Orange County Commission meetings or Osceola. So those are things, or the school board meetings, is like be aware. And a lot of those are posted online or they have YouTube videos that they give you insight into what decisions are being made um, that may affect your neighbors or uh, your friends or your fellow congregation members. Um, so it's important, um, but for me, it's you know you go through each individual and know that you can make an informed decision or make no decision, and it's okay to make no decision if you don't think you're fully aware. But maybe the next election, uh, you should be for some of the issues that are going to affect um, all of us. And just to piggyback on what you were saying, there are a couple of things, like you were talking about the YouTube videos. We do know, for example, that the Orlando Sentinel attempt to uh, to interview uh, the different candidates, and it at least gives you a, a little bit of insight in terms of, you know, first of all, whether or not they decide to show up and, and uh, you know, what, is that, what does that mean if they, they don't show up? That's one mm-hmm. thing. Number two, when they show up, what are they saying? Are they answering the questions that are being asked? You know, mm-hmm. um, or they're also, just a commercial with sound bites. <laughs> right, right. The other thing is too to ask about. Um, you know, you may have uh, family or friends or, or coworkers or someone you know that know some of these people that, let's say, have already been in office or are running for office. You know, are they open? Are they receptive? I know one of the. Um, uh, state representatives or, or um, county commissioners or whatever that, that uh, we had one time, uh, we had some issues. Uh, and I, Actually, I had I call, had to call on him a couple of times. Um, one was with a personal issue and one was with uh, an issue I was having with a client just to try to get some answers. And I would say within 24 hours, they were very receptive if, if that person didn't call back himself um, he had somebody from his office to call back and find out what was going on and to try to get get me answers. That's what you want. Um, yes, you want someone. You definitely want re- that, responsiveness and and every um, constitutional or every constituent services um, office should have a liaison, a person that deals with uh, some of the you know issues that people may be a fate may be facing. So um, your state senators, your state congressional representatives have constituent services managers. You have to do like a release of information for them to either do an inquiry if it has to do with a government agency or it's a, you know, local ordinance or or, um, law, but they have people that are responsive, especially for people who have suffered Hurricane Ian damage and, you know, you may Mm -hmm. have an issue with FEMA or something else or or any of the public services 
uh, that you're dealing with, that constituent services is a good tool and resource to, to use and also know and will get insight as to the responsiveness of the individuals that you're contacting, who is going to do an inquiry or who is going to give you information or give you insight into how you can solve your problem. Um, uh, for veterans' benefits, for immigration, the Congressional uh, Constituent Services offices as well, for you know local ordinances and um, uh, permitting and things like that also it's, it's good. And just to maybe meet with your representative and know what's going on, go to some of the public uh, events that are happening, hear them speak, and, and what know what their issue is, because that's how best you're going to know where they stand um, in relation to your position on, an, on a particular um, matter. Also, there is a site called BillTrack50.com, um, and I'm posting it right now on the G's Power Hour Facebook page, BillTrack, B-I-L-L-T-R-A-C-K, 50.com, 50, the, the number 50. And it has, if the, if the person has been in office, if it's an incumbent, it has a list of what they've done, you know, uh, to a degree. It's, it's very... Um, condensed, but um, I was looking, I have a friend who's running for office and I was looking up uh, their opponent to see uh, what was passed, you know, and some of the items are, you know, serious and some of them are quite frivolous. Um, you'd be interested to find out, but go ahead and to BillTrack50.com, that will give you some insight too in terms of um, you know, if, if they are already in office, in, you know, what your legislators have um, been able to get past and what they've, you know, been able to, what they've failed at, you know, so it's interesting. What their voting record is. I mean, you can find out the voting yeah. records online from the direct websites of the U.S. Congress and U.S. Senate, as well as, um, you know, your state representatives uh, go to their website, not just you know their bullet points of what they've done, but there's a there. It's a matter of the sun, you know the legislation in the sunshine. So the sunshine laws allow for the public posting of how somebody has voted on a particular legislation um, that may mm -hmm. be of particular interest to you. Um, so not just the the media endorsements, which are also important because it, it helps you to know who in your community is recommended or endorsed and what they're doing, what their positions are. Um, but get informed, uh, you know, know what your ballot issues are, know what your personal issues are, know what's going to affect your community and how you are empowered with, with the ability to vote and make it your voice known. Nadine Brown, thank you so much again for um, giving us your time and, and uh, you know, being very – I appreciate you being very plain spoken about what's going on, and we appreciate it. So you know you're welcome back anytime. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. And make sure that you vote. If you can, vote early. If not, plan when you're going to your, um, your uh, precinct. And um, good luck to everyone. And like she said, do, do your search. Don't just go by what the sign says when you show up at the polls, okay? So yes. thank you, Nadine. And thank, thank you all you. for being with us. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had So Good Entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed. Please go vote, vote responsibly, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.